0: Ask the Coaches Podcast. We're bringing back the Ask the Coaches Podcast. I know it has been a few weeks since we've done this. Um, You may be used to the standard type of podcast that we do where we have one topic and we talk about that in detail and it's usually something related to that time of year. So a lot of the ones that we've been doing in the past have been gearing up for these fall marathons and big fall races and now we're in mid-november and so a lot of the fall marathons have already happened i know there are still a few that are coming up and cim is one of the really big ones that still is going to be happening Um, but we just kind of have some open time and we didn't have anything scheduled for this week so we decided to do another ask the coaches podcast and so for this episode we went on instagram this morning Um, today is november 16th At the day we're recording this and we just ask you guys what questions you had so we have four questions from the audience i just took the first four that came in and then i pulled it down Um, if you guys ever have any questions that you want us to answer in future podcast episodes feel free to shoot me an email at info at runforprs.co and we can just save them for future episodes because we love answering questions directly from you guys and being able to have a more open dialogue in regards to questions because i know some of the posts that we do are more generic and these questions are really fun because we can do more of a deep dive into the background and have that audio experience as opposed to just reading texts So we wanted to dive in for what the first four questions are. So you have a preview of what to expect from this podcast episode. So there are four questions. And feel free to skip around to the questions that sound most appealing to you. Um, The first question is going to be, how will I ever be able to run my half marathon pace on race day? So this is a lot of that whole doubt before a race and questioning you know, if the training is gonna work because at the end of the day, marathon pace, half marathon pace, they can feel really hard during training and so this athlete is just having some doubts and they wanna know how am I actually gonna be able to run this pace on race day? So we're gonna do a deep dive into that question. The next question is after two years of doing all of my long runs, Every single weekend, I have gotten slower. Tips for improving speed on long runs. This is very common. A lot of athletes will say, you know, I followed this advice or I did this one thing. So maybe it's, I slowed down on my easy days and it didn't work. Or, you know, I did marathons twice a year, every year for two years and I got slower. Or in this case, it's, for two years, I've been doing my long runs every single weekend, and I'm slower. I haven't gotten faster at my long runs. And so we're going to do a deep dive into what are some of these things that cause roadblocks in our progress and how we can break through those plateaus. Because a lot of athletes do reach these peaks and plateaus, and they really want to reach the next level. And sometimes it can be really frustrating when we think we are doing all of the right things with our training, but we're not seeing that the results that we want. And in this case, this person is running long every single weekend for... Two years, that's 104 weekends doing long runs. And I mean, that can be really frustrating when you're out there putting in the work and you're just not seeing the results that you hope to see. So what we're gonna do is do a deep dive in how you can start to measure progress, the type of workouts you should be doing and how to calculate paces for those workouts for your easy days and how to measure progress along the way. Because that can be one of the biggest motivators for success is being able to actually measure your progress. The next question is, do you think attempting a Boston qualifier at my first ever marathon is unrealistic? So we're going to be talking a little bit about the marathon distance and how to set realistic goals because as you know, a lot of you may know, of course, there are some cases where people, they run BQs on their first marathon attempt. We're going to talk about maybe what sort of background you would need in order to achieve that goal and maybe setting you up for success for... Figuring out what the best marathon goal time should be based on your background, especially if it's your first time. Then the final question was about someone who recently ran a marathon and they capped their long run at three hours. So, this is an advice that we give to a lot of our athletes and people following our page. We say, you know, capping that long run at three, three and a half hours is really good because it allows your body more chance to recover. Because after that three hour window, the risk for injury really shoots up. And this is something that Jack Daniels has covered um, in great detail. And that's just a scientific study that they have proven. And that's just something that we implement with our training. And so what we recommend a lot of people do is do back to back long runs. And so that will help um, build endurance. But what happened to her is on marathon race day, She said that around mile 17 or 18, she started having a lot of stomach issues and she thinks that was related to that three hour long run mark being the longest that she ever ran because she never really had these issues in training. And so we're gonna dive a little bit on what can cause some of these stomach issues on longer runs and just diving into what other causes could also be a factor. So I have with me today, Jason, and we'll just kind of dive in with that first question about how will i ever be able to run my half marathon pace on race day like have you ever had that thought
1: yeah i think almost every time you know i go into a half marathon that i plan on racing seriously you had that thought right and so i think the first part uh, to think about is how do you assess like what is your half marathon pace how are you going to determine what should be your, your target pace for that race you know and so the answer to that is very complex, right? You're going to use, obviously, your background, your experience, any recent races that you might have done, um, how your workouts have been going, um, and really just kind of comparing your past experiences to to this training cycle. And so, um, you know, for me, I've ran the same half time um, four times. So my half PR is 113. I've ran it four times in a row. And I've ran it differently, I would say, I mean, pretty much every race, it was kind of done differently, right? Like, some of the races, it was a negative split. Other races, it was more of a positive split. Um, one of the other races, I just kind of went out really slow and I hammered down really hard the last 5k. And so, um, you know, you can get you can get the same result running in it different ways. It's just about um, kind of assessing your fitness. And um, I would say the number one thing you should think about is look at your like previous you know three months of training. What have you done during that training that really um, helps you predict what should be your target pace so did you race a 10k did you race a 5k because you want to make sure that your goal on race day is in line with like where your fitness was at Mm -hmm. i think that's the biggest mistake some people often make is they have this like number in their mind maybe it's like they want to break 140 but really they haven't even ran like a 5k or 10k that is equivalent in that aspect and so it can be tough especially if you go out on pace for that 140 and then you slow way down you end up running like 146 147 so it's just, um, it's, I think it's really important to know where you're at. That's the first thing. And then kind of look, um, I think you mentioned this earlier, just looking at your, um, you know, your workouts and making sure that you're setting the speed limit early on in the race.
0: Right. Yeah. That was a lot to take in. And I think, um, just with your experience saying that you've ran the same half marathon time four different times, I thought it was interesting how you said that even you, when you start the, the race, it's like you, you sometimes have that doubt because maybe that pace is just hard to hold. So when you go into those halves every time, when you ran like four of the same times, did you have the same sort of workouts as indication that you were in that shape or like what caused some of that doubt?
1: Yeah, great question. I think um, for sure one of those times I was confident that I was in better shape than that. Mm-hmm. And it turned out I wasn't. And then probably the other two... Well, the first time I ran that time, it was my first half ever. So I wasn't... I didn't have any expectation at all. And then so then the other two times I was kind of uncertain of where my fitness was. Um, the training just probably wasn't wasn't great. But I think I was consistent enough that I was able to start slow and finish strong. And so... Um, yeah, using a few key workouts. Uh, I think the ones that come to mind would be like mile repeats at a pace that's slightly faster than half marathon pace with short rest. Um, so doing like four or five by a mile, that gave me a lot of confidence to be able to hold that pace. Um, but yeah, typically those would be some of the key key workouts. Any threshold related runs that gave me that confidence. Or
0: did you do like races in the buildup? Because I think sometimes people are looking at like what besides workouts like let's say they've done workouts sometimes I think people want to see like a race result that equals some sort of half marathon time
1: yeah you know I did for the most part every time I was doing at least uh, one race beforehand and it was usually at least a 5k and then other years I also did a 10k or I did an 8k Um, and then another year when I set my when I actually set the PR I came off uh, Boston that year came off a marathon and then I think it was two months later I went and ran the half. And so, um, yeah.
0: Right. So I think in terms of like seconds per mile, I know it's going to be different just because I think the faster you are, um, like the slower or the, the shorter the gap between like your 5k pace and your half marathon pace. But you, for example, when you raced some of these shorter distance races, like how many seconds per mile faster did you want to be in say a 5k, the five mile, the 10k versus your half marathon pace?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, 5k, it's always going to be like roughly 30 seconds per mile, maybe 35. Um, And then, you know, 10k is probably only like 10 seconds per mile Mm -hmm. faster. Um, 8k was probably 15 or so. But um, I think it, yeah, running those other races kind of gave me that confidence to be able to say, okay, you know what, I'm gonna start off at this pace, which is about 10 seconds slower than what I want to average for the half, and kind of get a feel for how it's going. And then I will try to dial into my half pace, um, and then just hold it for as long as possible, and then try to press and finish strong. And so that's kind of how I would approach the half. It can be really hard to know how to start the race if you haven't done any other like you know key races like that. Right. Um, and, the, I think I, the only other time, I think I ran a minute slower than that once, um, than my PR at a race in March. So I really hadn't done a race before that, but I just kind of like trusted the training. I went, I went more off of feel. So, um.
0: Right. And I think the course comes into play as well, because I know the times mm-hmm. where you were running within a minute, they were all on the same course.
1: Whereas the slower
0: time was on a hilly course. So all of those things come into play. But I liked how you said starting conservative. And so when we're throwing out these benchmarks, like, let's say your 5k pace is a seven minute pace or eight, eight, let's do eight per mile. Um, that's your 5k pace and then you say adding on 35 seconds per mile that's your half marathon pace I'd say that's a really aggressive goal Right. right so we're gonna have to look at like your experience racing a half and so this person they said you know this is my first half and so if this is your first half and you're like worried about the pace and you want it to be a positive experience I think it's really important to like look at it from the perspective of okay I plugged in my time to the VDOT calculator it says I can run this time for a half but that's like if you're racing to your fullest potential and you're like killing yourself out there like really really hardcore going for it Um, whereas for me when I ran my first half I just wanted to like finish and have a positive experience and just like see kind of okay can I maintain this pace and so I Obviously, I probably could have ran faster, but I really wanted to be cautious with that because I was newer to the sport, right? I had only been running for two years. I had only ever really raced 5Ks. And so maybe my 5K pace at the time was like 7.45 or 8-minute pace. But when I went to go run my half, I was thinking more like, let's try to run 8.45, 8.50, like a minute per mile versus that 30 seconds per mile. And then over time, it gave me something to work is getting faster in the half because I think how you experience that first half like you said Mm -hmm. you went into your first half with no expectations I think it's really important to have maybe lower expectations in terms of time outcome and pacing and maybe just focus on how you want to feel
1: yeah exactly I was thinking that you know if it's your first second third time running a half or maybe your first time doing a half in a few years it's best not to, like, use those calculators and Mm -hmm. look at that and be like, well, this is what I could run based on where I'm at. Um, Just because, like, it takes some experience, I think. Like you said, like, that's that's if everything goes well and you perform to your highest potential on race day, then you may be possible to achieve that time. So I think it's best to, yeah, just kind of get a feel for it and have a positive experience. You know, set yourself up to run and feel strong at mile 10 rather than bonking and hitting the wall
0: yeah and that brings up a really good point so it's really fun when it's your first second third and you're kind of on this roll and you're making great progress but i think the thing that really derails a lot of people is when you take some time off so maybe You you had an injury or you just kind of got out of the loop of things because you you had a job and you were focusing more on like your professional career or going to grad school whatever and so then a couple years later you want to get back into the swing of things and you want to get back to that same level so let's say you left the sport of running you were close to you know like a 140 half and when you come back in maybe your 5k is still pretty close to like what your 5k pr is But if you've taken so much time off from like those longer distance races, it can take a while to get back to the place where you were when you kind of left the sport. So it might take like over a year to really gain that momentum. And I think where a lot of people like shoot themselves in the foot is they just have these sky high expectations. They're like, well, I just want to get back to like where I was. And so they're kind of like skipping steps or they just, they're almost too hard on themselves because they don't give themselves that beginner's mindset. They don't let themselves progressively get back there. They just are forcing it. And I know one of our coaches, actually I had a one-on-one meeting with her and she was talking about one of her athletes um, all summer, just had this um, this old PR from like five years ago and it's it was around like a 140 range. And just all of the races leading up to the goal half, it was they are very clear, like, kid. Okay, this is kind of what your 5K is, this is where your 10K is, and this is what we should maybe do, the half goal, as like a 143. And so it was just all in alignment. But when you're that close, so let's say your PR is 140 and you're in 143 shape, it can be really hard to hold back and right. say, okay, I'm, I'm going to actually try to go after a good 143, race well, um, pace it appropriately. Whereas I think even myself included <laughs> have done mm-hmm. this multiple times Where I'm like, no, like 143, 140, like same thing. And then (laughs) you just kind of go out hard and you're like, whatever, I'm experienced, I can do this. And then it ends up in almost like a disastrous finish or a time that is really far from what you were hoping. So like maybe you end up running like a 150, 148 and you're kind of left with like a bruised ego at the end because it was maybe a positive split race or something like that.
1: Yeah, I've definitely been there and can understand, you know, the more experience you get, I think we're all at some point going to be guilty of making that mistake it's just a part of like you know really learning about yourself and what you are capable of doing on race day and kind of getting back to this person who's you know going to be running their first half i think um you know it it can be difficult but the thing you need to remember is like the pace that you're running in workouts a lot of times it it feels easier in the Mm -hmm. race for so many various factors right like You're just, like, ready on race day. You know that it's the day to push yourself. Your body's kind of prepared, and, you know, you've you've been up probably thinking about it for hours. So you have that extra kind of boost of adrenaline, not to mention all the race day excitement and the crowd and people around you. And so um, I just think that it's normal to feel some doubt about your pace, you know, at the race, but Mm -hmm. just, just try to remain confident. And it's always best, if you're not very experienced, to start off just a little bit slower to kind of get a feel for it.
0: Right, and like you were saying, the race day environment always makes it easier to perform because people are watching, you have that adrenaline, the crowd support. Um, in addition to that, you also will probably have people to run with, so like it brings out that competitive energy. There's also um, the taper, right? So the taper itself just gives you like a 3% boost. Um, there's just so many factors that go into it. So you have to consider when you're running these paces and training. So let's say you're doing mile repeats or threshold work and you're barely hitting half marathon pace and you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to run this on race day? You just have to remember that on race day, you're going to have fresh legs. You know, maybe you didn't lift the day before. Maybe, um, you aren't going to have, you know, a ton of mileage on your legs. You're just going to be more fresh and tapered. Um, So it's going to feel easier on race day in some regards. But I do think it's pretty common for people at the start line of a race to be really nervous and question, like, is my body going to be able to do this? And I think the more experienced you become, the more you understand that, you know, those thoughts, they're there for almost everyone. And it's just important to kind of quiet the mind and just realize that your body's going to do Um, what it knows how to do and kind of overthinking it when you're at the race can can almost be worse, right? So your body's just going to do what it's prepared to do and just your mind's along for the ride. So just try not to... get too much in your head and just realize that a lot of these stats are pretty normal because it is hard, right? Like running is hard and racing is hard. So, just knowing that it is going to be hard, but you're definitely capable of doing it. Setting that speed limit is super important as well, so starting off slow and conservative and allowing yourself time to really ease into things.
1: It's great. Yeah, definitely going more off the effort and not worrying about the time and the pace. You know, the first time I ran that 113, it was Garmin so I just had a Timex and I don't even think I paid attention to what the clock said at, at like 5k or 10 mile. I just kind of ran off a of feel and so that's I think that's the way to do it and um, you know kind of thinking about how you felt in your workouts um, you know that's how you want to feel in the race but a, a little bit even more controlled and relaxed because you're going to be out there for quite a while and so um, yeah just look forward to getting that experience and um, it's great to just be able to get out there and do a race at that distance.
0: Definitely. So moving on to the next question. After two years of doing all of my long runs every weekend, I have gotten slower. Tips for improving speed on long runs. So this person has been doing... Um, long runs every weekend for two years so that's I think I said earlier in the intro that's like a hundred and four long runs so this that's like a really long time and anyone would get frustrated if they feel like they're getting slower and so this question was worded very interesting to me because I wonder how they're measuring the progress right it almost I want to make the assumption that they're measuring the progress based on what their long-run speed is Um, and so we just wanted to take a dive into just what are these things that cause these plateaus and these roadblocks because this is really common we get people who reach out to us on an almost daily basis on our website fill out the form and there's something really similar to this so it'll be like you know, I've been doing marathons for for years and I'm just getting slower, or I, I've been doing easy running for a year and I've just been getting slower. And so there's a lot of like good things that they're saying that they're doing and then there is that follow up, but it's not working. So it's like, you think you're doing something that's really advantageous to your running, but then it's not leading to the results that you want. So this person, in this case, they're doing these long runs every weekend, but they're getting slower. So they wanna know, how can I get faster? And I think that's what a lot of people wanna know, right? If you're in a plateau, if you're in a place where you feel like the work you're putting in is not giving you the results that you're looking for or maybe you're getting worse, that's when we really wanna take a deep dive and think about setting some goals and figuring out how we can break out of that rut. And so I like to encourage people to not judge your fitness based on long run pace. Based on easy running pace, and so Jason, can you dive into how that can be so tempting for people to want to measure it based off of, you know, your long run pace or your easy run pace, and maybe what's a better gauge?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, you'd really have to think about um, the, a person that's coming up with this. I, I'm guessing they're they're running at least a half or a full. You know what I mean? Like they're training for a half or a full. I would assume. Um, so looking at maybe their uh, weekly mileage and their uh, long run distance from week to week, right? Like if it's pretty similar every single week, I think we need to have some variation, not just with the distance but also with the pacing. Um, and I think that you know, we, a lot of people they slow down because they hear that that's good, right? And they expect that you know, if I just run like my ten miles easy every weekend, I should be getting faster. And I just think that you you have to think about. Um, is your body getting a chance to kind of adapt to some other stimulus as well in addition to that and making sure your body's getting a a break from the mileage? And so, um, you know, I think, yeah, it's definitely something uh, that can be frustrating, but you have to think about uh, the whole picture and not just, like, looking at the long runs or just the easy pace. You have to look at the pace for your workouts. You have to look at where's your current fitness at. Um, Are you getting enough variation in your training? Um, So, yeah, I think uh, making sure you're at least... Getting challenging workouts and getting workouts into your um, schedule that are gonna challenge you.
0: Yeah workouts are really important and I think they're pretty much underutilized and it's not even about just doing any old workout right so when I first got into running it seems like you know I can just do any old workout and I think I got into this rut where I was like okay I'm just gonna do these like random workouts with no with no rhyme or reason like you'd find them on the internet or you'd see someone else doing them and you're like yep, I'm gonna do that workout. So they weren't really specific to what I was training for, right? So I could be training for a marathon, but I saw someone else who was also training for a marathon or I thought they were doing a workout, I would just try to copy whatever they were doing. And so that's why I think it's really important to know um, like what type of workouts to do, because it's gonna vary based on what you're training for and it's also gonna vary based on where your fitness is at. So I think the most important thing anyone can do who is in a plateau or a peak, is do a race, do a time trial, like right now, today, this week. So don't make the assumption of, well, I think I have an idea of what sort of paces I need to run or, oh, you know, I ran a 5K a year ago or three years ago or, oh, my 5K PR that I set, you know, in 2019 before the pandemic, oh, it's this. But in reality, you need to have like an accurate assessment of where you are today. Because if you feel like you've been getting slower, we need to know like how much slower have you really gotten and like, where are you at right now? and that'll be able to be like a line in the sand where you can reference back and say, "Hey, I did this time trial on November, you know, 20th, 2021, and now it's March of 2022 and I've improved." And so you're able to reference back to that because I think what a lot of people will do is they'll just go, "Oh, you know my easy pace, it used to be this and now it's that." when that could be a marker of a lot of different things, right? So as I have grown as a runner, my easy pace is actually slowed slowed down by like over a minute per mile, maybe 90 seconds per mile. But what happens on racy is my times are way faster. So as someone who's ran like a 1.22 half this year, that's 6.15 pace for a half marathon, most of my easy runs were like 9.30. So that's like three minutes per mile slower. Whereas in the past, when I was like a 135 half marathoner, on my easy days I was going 750, eight minute pace. And so it would be really easy to judge and be like, oh, she she's so much faster just because of the easy run pace. But in reality, if the results on race day are proving otherwise, then there's not really a problem with you going slower on your easy days. It's actually better because it's showing that you are recovering and you're able to do your workout days hard and race hard on race day. Because sometimes when we're running too fast on these easy runs or on these long runs, they actually inhibit us from becoming faster because we're not able to do quality workouts and we're not able to bring it on race day because we're so fatigued from running in this gray zone all the time.
1: Yeah, in this particular case, you know, I would say, you know, what are you training for? And Looking at like consistency of, of long run mileage each week, uh, maybe breaking it up so you're not running like a long run every single week. Maybe you're doing it every other week and then you're doing more of like a quality kind of medium long run session on in between weeks. Um, and then that'll kind of kind of break things up for you, give you maybe just a little bit of a, um, a new training stimulus that hopefully your body can react to and you'll feel uh, a little bit more confident in like where your fitness is. It'll make the long run pace feel easier and like the distance, it'll make that even like feel like a joke, you know? So I think, uh, I, I was training an ultra guy recently and he, he said something like how 15 mile long run became like an easy walk mm. to, the, to get a Coke from the store, yeah. and from the gas station down the street. And it's just like, yes, that's how you want to look at those long runs at an easy pace. So you shouldn't be looking at them like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this 90 minute long run, mm. even though it's super slow, like it should still feel really easy. And if it's feeling like it's too long or too hard, then change something, you know, like yeah. don't do it as frequently or lower the mileage. Yeah. Um, you know, I think most people are in one of three boats when it comes to their long runs. They're easy, either someone that does them too fast consistently mm-hmm. or maybe too slow and just like, uh, just not challenging themselves enough, like with their mm. other workouts. Um, so then they're really not getting the results. And they're doing, like, too many of the same things, like 9 to 10 every week or whatnot. Um, and then that third boat would be, like, the people that are that had some, like, variation in their training, kind of like you were mentioning. Like, not all your long runs were at 9-minute pace. You right. did incorporate some pace work. Um, right. And thinking back to myself, even, kind of rambling here, um, <laughs> a lot of people, they tend to gain more confidence from doing a long run at a pace that's, like, let's say 30 seconds slower than marathon and pace um, per mile. So they're doing like 16 Mm. miles at at a pace that's only 30 seconds per mile slower, right? right? And for some reason, that gives them more confidence than doing a workout where they're maybe doing like two by three miles at marathon pace, but then they have their recovery and their warm-up and their easy pace that's going to be significantly slower than marathon, effort, which brings the average pace down. Um, And so like thinking about it from that perspective too, like why are you someone that – because I used to be that way. I used to get more confidence from running – a long run at sub seven minute pace. It's easier. It's easier, yeah, you're right.
0: So I think people naturally want to just do what gives them like the biggest confidence boost that requires the least amount of energy. I mean, Mm -hmm. running at marathon pace and doing segmented run where maybe your average pace for the whole run is gonna be a minute per mile slower than your marathon pace, but within there you have to hit marathon pace or slightly faster for segments. And then you have to, like, run really easy for segments. People don't like that. People hate running easy. Like, I I know this because I work (laughs) with people. They they hate it. They fight it. They don't like it. Especially if you're used to someone that's going, oh, you know, at marathon pace for a lot of – or at, like, 30 seconds per mile slower than marathon pace for a lot of your workouts. People just really do not like going easy and slow because, like you were saying – your one ultra guy he was saying it's so easy for him to run at that pace but that's how you want it to feel as like you're hardly doing anything like it's a jog like it's it's almost like when you're done with a run at that easy pace it almost feels like you went on a walk or a hike versus like you know oh my gosh i'm I'm totally destroyed and i do think a lot of people get trapped in that oh i'm just gonna run like in the gray zone all the time because it is easier it's easier to run at your gray zone, which is about 30 to 60 seconds per mile slower than marathon pace. Um, so for me that would be like 7:30 pace. It would be easier for me to run every run at 7:30 pace than to polarize my training because polarizing your training means some days you're going to some days I will go like 9 9:30 pace and then other days I have work where I have to do like anywhere between 5:50 to like 6 6:50 pace for workout days. And I think the thing that really is difficult for people to grasp is that the variation is so extreme. So one day Mm -hmm. you're running four minutes per mile faster than what you're doing on your easy day. And then the next day you just have to like shut her down and and jog. Um, It's easier to have that like repetition of like always going at the same pace. And I think people get stuck in that comfort zone of just trying to always pretty much run within the same 30 second window, um, really right around that marathon pace a little slower.
1: Yeah. Well, I didn't even think about it that way, how it is easier, yeah. you know? And I think when we see, you know, so I think back to like when I was training for marathons and, you know, you'd want to get your 20 mile run at under like seven minute pace, that would give you like a lot of confidence, right? But you could get more benefit from a workout if you did a structured workout, like you're saying, with some pace work in there. And the average pace was only like seven, seven twenty pace because you, you, it was more polarized, right? Like you, you had, a, you forced yourself to change your speed, to adjust and I think that that's really important um, in gaining, like, mental toughness, mm-hmm. as opposed to just, like, starting out maybe at the fast end of your easy pace and then just progressing all the way into the gray zone and just kind of running it that way. Yeah, right. I think that is easier. And so mm-hmm. um, it's it's really interesting, and I think as runners, we naturally put a lot of, like, emphasis on our long runs. Like, it just, I don't know, it, it's, it's so important, especially if you're a half marathoner, marathoner. Um, and I think that if you can kind of get away from that a little bit and put more emphasis on like the workouts and maybe some of those like medium quality sessions, I think that's going to suit you, you know, better.
0: Right. And back to that whole doing the pace that's easier thing. You know, I used to do that, right? Like I used to run at that pace that was just the gray zone all the time. Um, I said I would do some workouts, but really I wasn't able to actually execute on really any of them. I just, I don't know. I, I just think that when you train in a way that's like, prohibiting you from actually doing workouts so when you're not slowing down enough on your easy pace you're not ever really going to be able to get into that routine of doing workouts consistently so it's really something you have to fully embrace and so it's not about doing 100% easy running because I s- see a lot of people that'll do that they'll be like oh I'm running 100% or I'm running like all my easy days really slow and I'm like well, what are you doing for workout days and they might say oh like I'm doing you know like 200s on the track and I'm like okay well we really have to think about what event you're training for. So if you're training for a marathon, doing 200s on a track is not going to really be advantageous to building your aerobic system, lowering your threshold, all of those things. Um if you're maybe training for like a 5K or a 1 mile, 200s on the track would be great. But you really have to think about what it is that you're training for. So you have to define those goals for yourself and figure out how you wanna measure your progress. Um, And then retesting that time trial every six to 12 weeks. Give yourself time to do workouts. Um, In six weeks, you should be able to get anywhere from eight to 12 workouts under your belt. And in 12 weeks, double that, right? So the more time you have to consistently train and do these workouts, allow time for recovery, the more adaptations you're going to obtain and the faster you're going to become over time. But if you're always kind of hanging out in that gray zone, you're not really gonna be able to have that stress recovery response, which is what produces growth, right? So we have to have that stressor, which is a 20% of your mileage being hard workouts. And then we have to have that recovery time. So those easy runs that are building your aerobic base. And then we wanna retest every six to 12 weeks. So moving on to the third question, Do you think that attempting a Boston qualification at my first marathon is unrealistic? And just for some reference, Boston qualification time for people under 35 on the day of Boston, for females, it would be a 3.30 or faster um, to get into the most recent race. It was like 3.22, 3.22 and change got you in. Um, For guys, it's uh, under a three hour marathon. Um, so like a 252 change would have got you in. Um, this year's probably, I don't know anyone can predict, but uh, we don't really know what it's going to be, but a lot of people like to get like a five minute buffer or 10 minute buffer, which you can't really you know control the outcome of that. you can only be in the best shape possible on race day and hope that that means you're gonna have a buffer. but um, to really run the race, a lot of people will say I want to have like a five minute buffer. So in this case, female under 35 she would have to run a 325. she wanted to know if that's realistic or not um and so i guess that's really gonna depend on the background so i'll let you kind of speak to that
1: yeah, yeah i mean you know for runners i know you, you put ben here as an example so if you take a runner that's got a lot of experience they're a college athlete you know they've ran a lot of road races a lot of half marathons that indicate that they can achieve that time you know ben ran a 240 in his debut marathon which is a 25 minute bq time for his age group, uh, but we're not all like college athletes, right? And so I think you have to look at each each case and look at their experience. How many races have they done at the half marathon distance? Look at like the best time. How recent was that? Um, and see like okay, since that race, has there been like has there been like fitness gains made or not? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you know equate that to the to the marathon qualifying time. So I guess a, a good rule of thumb, a lot of people used to say, would be like double the time and add ten minutes. Um, would be like if you're if you're in shape you might be able to achieve that time for a marathon right so i think i think it really just depends like we'd have to you'd have to really look at on a case-by-case basis and look at the training more so than just like um the race results too you'd have to look at like key workouts tendencies um all these things
0: Right, and I'm pretty sure Megan, so one of our coaches, Megan, she was like a competitive soccer player. She played at a D2 level. She didn't have any sort of like running background. She never did track. She never did like formal running, but the year after she graduated college, she went to go run a marathon. And her first marathon time was like a 307, 308, um, which at the time would have qualified her for Boston by like 32 minutes. Wow. Yeah. So again, it's like, it really depends on the person, but... I know one thing that both of them have in common is if you would have had them do any race distance, like from 5K to half marathon, you would have had that indication. It would have been real obvious that they had the potential to run that sort of time Mm -hmm. in the marathon. But where it gets tricky is you might have this great indication that you can run a really fast marathon time based on your 5K, But the 5K and the marathon are like two totally separate beasts. And so on the other end of the spectrum, my brother is probably totally fine with me talking about him because I've asked him in the past. But my brother started running in 2013. He got really into it. Just a lot of natural talent. And I think within like a year, he was running like an 18, 20-something 5K. Um, And he went to go run his first marathon even his halftime, like a 126, it was pretty, pretty much indicative that like he could be running in like the low threes. Um, but he just didn't have that aerobic background. So he had like great speed on the track, like right. he was pretty much almost breaking five in the mile. Which so the speed was there, but what takes a really long time is for your like aerobic system to catch up and so you could kind of tell that in his race results as the distance went higher his performance was a little bit like suffered a little bit but that's only because he didn't have enough time to really gain that aerobic endurance i mean he was so new to the sport um and then when he went to run the marathon it was just a really difficult experience for him and it ended in like a 450 time i believe which, I mean, that's very, very extreme. I mean, obviously he should have been running faster, but there's just so many factors that go into the marathon. So it's really easy for us to be like, oh yeah, for sure, based on V-dot, you can run this, you can run that. But in reality, when it comes to the marathon, it's one of those things where you really have to train and have a really solid plan, have pretty much all of the stars aligned on race day to allow you to really execute and run to that potential time.
1: Yeah, I think you know, the training that goes into the race is, is, is huge to not overlook because, you know, even my example, I was a 113 half and my first marathon Mm -hmm. was a 258. And so, you know, 113 half, you double that, that's 226. Even if you add, (laughs) even if you had 20 minutes, that's a 246. Um, and I was nowhere near that. I was still 12 minutes beyond that. So it, it just goes to show you like, um, you have to, in the training, I didn't, I didn't put in any 20 milers. I think I did one eighteen mile long run for that marathon buildup and maybe one sixteen. Right. And so looking at the training, looking at how you recovered from those long sessions is really key. And I think you have to think about like how, how physiologically strong is the athlete? Cause mm-hmm. I know for me, my, my legs and everything, they just weren't like ready to be able to handle that pace for that right. long, right? Like aerobically or, you know, and whatever you want to call it, I was strong enough, um, my breathing, my heart rate was probably down and all that. Like the effort felt easy, but the legs just felt heavy, right? Like oh, when yeah. I hit the wall. And so things started to slowly kind of cramp up and shut down. So mm-hmm. I think it, it kind of... It is definitely a case-by-case basis, and you have to look at their training as well as their background in racing.
0: Right, and when you're talking about like your legs cramping up, that sort of thing, I mean, that is really like word for word what my brother said happened to him. Right, Um, And that just goes to show that the marathon is more than just like doing the training, right? Like, oh, training plan. There's like the whole nutritional aspect Mm -hmm. that comes into play. So anytime you're racing over 90 minutes, this is when it's really going to become drastically important, and as we'll get kind of get into in the next question someone's gonna be talking about how their stomach went haywire in the marathon and this is really really common um fueling is so critical right so the cramping and that sort of thing with salt pills making sure you have a solid fueling strategy going into the race and all these things you really have to practice and so when we're talking about someone who maybe only had like one long run one run over two Mm -hmm. hours which i think was the case with both you and my brother it's like you just kind of were relying on talent and that that's super common right especially when you're fresh out of college like you it's like oh i just wanted to finish the marathon so i do like one long run and you know i'll just wing it same with my brother i think for him it was like he didn't want to do a lot of the long runs it's just not some people you know it's just not super enjoyable to go out there by yourself for like two and a half hours so He maybe did more of these like medium, like a 10, a lot of 10 milers, 12 milers, but not a lot of marathon specific long runs. And so just relying on your talent to carry you is not going to work necessarily in the marathon. So that's why training really comes into play. The longer the race distance, like the more training you really have to put in.
1: Yeah. And, you know, thinking back to that, like when I did my long training runs, you know, if they're right around two hours, um, you know, I might've got by with just, stopping for water once or twice, maybe had a sip or two of Gatorade, and then just like one or two goos. And that was enough for that run because I only ran for two hours. But when you add like 50 minutes to that at a faster effort, you know, you gotta think about, you need a lot more, mm-hmm. you need a lot more sodium, a lot more, um, you know, ounces of fluids and all that. And so like, I probably, I don't know if I consumed enough that day. I mean, I think I did okay on my first marathon. There's been other marathons where I haven't, but yeah, it's just something you have to like really be, you know, about you can't just like say oh because I did my two or three long runs over mm-hmm. 18 miles like I'm, I'm ready to go like crush this marathon like you might be and for some people they are but you have to really be um, reflective and, and thinking about your past yeah. I and mean,
0: there's a lot of other factors right so over 26.2 miles that's a long time to be out there I mean you're out there mm-hmm. running for literal hours so one of the biggest factors is like the uncontrollables and that's something that really creeps up in a lot of these marathons so Luckily for you, when you did your first, it was, um, like a fall marathon. Mm -hmm. And so you trained in the summer. So you were used to running the heat and then, you know, it was a cool marathon day. But a lot of people, if you choose like a spring marathon to be your first marathon, you could be in for like a rude awakening because you train all winter. You're in these like really, well, especially if you live in Minnesota, like we would be training in like 20 or 30 degrees, fully covered, no sun exposure. You may Mm -hmm. feel great and then let's say you're doing a marathon in May and it's humid and it's hot and the <laughs> sun is out and you're not used to running with the sun out with a beating on your skin. Um, that's kind of what happened with my first marathon. Even though it wasn't really even that warm from like the perspective of most people, maybe it was like a 55 degree day, but like the sun beating down on you, if you're not used to that, it can really zap your energy. And so there's all these other factors that really come into play when it's the marathon. But I think the biggest thing is to really look at, key indications of, like, what sort of shape you're in. So this individual, she shared with me that she was a 134 half marathoner. So I was like, that's definitely indicative that you could be in, like, well under 330. Um, And then just thinking about brainstorming, like, what your training would look like to get there Mm -hmm. and how we would be able to have, like, benchmarks and key workouts that would give you an indication of, like, where you'd be at. Um, So it's definitely not unheard of to, like, be Q on your first marathon, that is that is a pretty high expectation but you know if you have like a buffer there right so like in her case 134 half marathoner you know you're looking at more like a sub 320 with that sort of time so we have room so it's like you have room to give yourself grace you're not going to be like riding the line the whole marathon to get to like a sub 330 whereas someone if they said hey you know i really want to run under a 330 right now my half pr is like 142 it's kind of like okay we do not have a lot of wiggle room, especially if this is your first marathon.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so it is a really individual answer, right? We have to look mm-hmm. at their experiences and their background. And if that person, the 134 half, if, if they feel like they've gained fitness and they're right. capable of running faster than that time right now, then I think that's a really good sign heading into the marathon. So kind of just thinking about like, hey, how is your training gone? Um, just because you ran a 134 half maybe a year ago – I mean, right. if, unless you feel confident you're in as good a shape, if not better, mm-hmm. then I would maybe, yeah, not worry so much about the BQ time, but it sounds like this person, the train's gone well. Um, I would just set yourself up to, to have a good race and probably try to negative split and yeah. if you snag your BQ, great. Um, and then hopefully, yeah, the buffer situation, that's a whole nother thing to think right. about Right. Well, and so.
0: another thing, like she wanted to train for this, a spring um a spring bq it's like an april race and i think it's really important to remember when we're talking about boston just to throw this out there that the qualifying window is open until september so let's say you run a time in april or you're like really close to it you have like five more months Mm -hmm. to lower the time or to get your bq and so i just always like to remind people of that because sometimes there can be like this rush of like oh i have to hit the bq like in february or june or whatever and it's like well even if it doesn't go 100 percent according to plan there is still time to do some of these last chance bq races that occur um, in september
1: yeah and then too just like as a runner in general like what are your strengths like do you strive off kind of the the distance the endurance are you more of a speed person you know and and like do you look forward to those longer tempo type runs or you do you like to crush more meter repeats you know that sort of thing i think Mm -hmm. those can really play a role in your approach to your your pace and your training because if you're someone that's confident with like the longer stuff I think that's gonna suit you really well in the marathon. So just something to think about there too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And while we are still on the topic of a marathon, I think this is a good segue into the fourth and final question that we're gonna be answering. Um, so during this person's training for their first marathon, they really capped their long runs at about three hours. Um, They ended up with a marathon finish time of five and a half hours. They were hoping for more of like a sub-five time But what happened was that their stomach went haywire on race day after the three-hour mark and so this individual is wondering if it's because they didn't train over three hours and what they can do in the future and so we usually recommend having people cap their long runs at about three hours just to allow for a reduction of injury and this is something that jack daniels has proven and it's in his book so a lot of those vdot methods of training um, that's going to incorporate people capping their long runs at about like two and a half to three hours Um, The reason being is because when you go over the three-hour mark, studies have shown that it increases your risk of injury, and so there are other ways to kind of get the benefits of doing endurance training without risking, you know, going over that benchmark and risking the injury, and so some of that would be back-to-back long runs. So maybe Friday evening, you're going to be doing like a 90-minute long run. You're going to go to bed, and then 12 hours later, wake up and do your two-and-a-half, three-hour long run on fatigued legs
1: yeah another idea could be too if you're worried about staying active for the full you know five hours or whatever your goal time is like you could do like a 30 or 30 minute to an hour like um, something lower impact like before you run so just something that kind of keeps your heart rate up keeps you moving so maybe it's a brisk walk maybe i would prefer something like biking or swimming though because it's you know less impact so um yeah the fueling is definitely something that can affect our stomach and just make us feel weird you know in addition to like if it's warmer than what we train in those sorts of things as well so uh but feeling is key you know I, I had a little taste of this when i was um training for some longer bike rides mm. you know and just my body wasn't used to like consuming the amount of like products right. that it took to get you know to get the, the grams of carbs and the, all the sodium and all the you know all of those electrolytes in and so it didn't sit that well with me um so i think that that could be something that maybe happened to this person and you have to think about like how much did you experiment with feeling Um, In your training versus on race day, you know, how much more were you incorporating? Um, Was there anything new or different as well? So, um, yeah, unfortunately, that's always an unfortunate thing when that happens, when it's your stomach that kind of slows you down. Um, But I think, you know, through more experience, more training, you're just going to be able to figure out, like, what works best for your body.
0: Yeah, and I do think it's really common with taking in so much in terms of fuel that, it's really important to practice the fueling. Like you said, a lot of your stomach issues for the try stuff was creeping up during training, which is great, right? Because it allows you a chance to like trial and error, kind of like what adjustments do I need to make? Because oftentimes, and I think you probably experienced this yourself. With training, they'll kind of have like these generalized recommendations of, oh, you know, take in this many carbs in in this amount of time. And so you do exactly what it says, but you end up like with a stomach cramp or like fatigue, like things just aren't really lining up with your body. And so I think there are like these tweaks that we can make and you'll be able to tell that kind of based on the signals your body's sending you. There might be something that you feel is causing these things um it just depends on like what sort of symptoms are creeping up and this is why it's really great to work with a registered dietitian so on staff here run for prs we have two registered dietitians who are marathoners themselves and they dedicate pretty much their entire practice to working with endurance athletes and so this sort of thing is something that they work with people on a day-to-day basis and so they kind of know what questions to ask and help you kind of figure out what these imbalances are that are happening um because it is so individualized by person and it could be something that maybe you ate the day before or maybe you ate the morning up and so really working with someone one-on-one to be able to dissect what the cause of this could be and maybe a plan going forward is super key because Nutrition is such an important part of these longer-distance events because oftentimes, in this case as well, fueling can be the thing that really prevents people from finishing. And I know one Mm -hmm. of the biggest things that prevents, you know, like these 100 mile or 50 mile endurance Mm -hmm. athletes from actually finishing is that they get to a point where, um, you know, they're throwing up or they feel really nauseous, they are not able to keep fuel down. And so it's not even that... I mean, obviously your legs are sore, but from what I've heard you know, people tell me is that it's like they couldn't get the fueling that they needed. And so their body started shutting down. And so that's why it's really important to get to the bottom of those things. And obviously you might have a perfect fueling plan. Everything goes according to plan. Like let's say you trained perfectly, you worked with a registered dietitian, like the stars were all in your favor. For whatever reason on race day, there could be factors that, are happening within your body that you mm-hmm. you don't know about and so it could be maybe you were exposed to someone and you were getting a stomach bug it could be your body's fighting off a virus and it's like sending you all these red flags like don't finish no we're not doing this um, it could be like a hormonal related right so maybe it's like I, I don't like to say it, but like maybe someone was pregnant and they didn't know it. I mean these things have probably happened before I'm not saying that was necessarily the case with this individual Um, other things that I've actually had this kind of thing happen to some of my athletes before during training where it's kind of like out of character like I've done marathon training cycles with them before but then all of a sudden in this new cycle they kind of have some of these like stomach issues Um, and what ended up happening with some of them was like a low iron diagnosis at the doctor and so sometimes when you're doing all the things right and you're just not. You're just kind of butting heads for a while. Sometimes getting your blood work done can really help. And I know Inside Tracker, um, we're definitely not sponsored by them, but I know that can be an easy one to get to get done um, if you don't want to go to the doctor and get your blood work done. But definitely going into the doctor and just saying, "Hey, can I have like a blood panel ran?" Um, one of my athletes even this summer had similar things kind of going on um, on long runs. Just really was feeling out of character, and there was something like with the liver enzyme that was just flaring up on runs over two hours. And so sometimes you can like uncover these things that are really happening in your body because you are asking your body to do these really long distance endurance events. Um, and so he made some tweaks, um, to some things and was able to, um, finish feeling, feeling better.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, I've known people that have successfully finished hundred mile races and most of them have DNF other hundred milers just because of feeling or other issues. And so like, a good reminder that just because something works for you maybe one time it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be your go-to just because of all those factors that you mentioned but it's good to experiment and to try and tweak things especially if you notice that things aren't really sitting well with you um, with like certain products and I think that's where the dietitian can help you um, with maybe prescribing or you know giving you some other options in that aspect.
0: Yeah definitely and there's always that like trial and error piece to it so like I said, sometimes you can be doing like all of the things right, but you can be hitting like this wall, so to speak. So that's why I think sometimes when you're getting the professional advice from a registered dietitian, it can really bring things to another level because this is really what they're trained in is helping endurance athletes with the fueling that they need to feel good on race day and to really optimize performance. And that's why we have them on staff here because this is something that is pretty, you know, common, it can happen, and working with an individualized plan is so much better than throwing generic advice at someone um even though we do have some ideas it's always better to really get something more specific and tailored to you so i hope that you guys really enjoyed this we always like to do ask the coaches questions just to be able to chat in more detail about some of these common issues that come up for people and just to answer some of your guys's questions. So again, we talked a lot about this individualized approach and how you can do workouts specific to you and setting goals for the future and how to break through these plateaus. And that's really what we do here at Run for PRs. We have a team of coaches who develop individualized training plans specific to meet your goals. And we just love to be there for you every step of the way. So if you're interested in working with a coach, or just chatting with one of us to see how we can be of service to you. We'd love to get to know more about your background and goals. If you fill out the form at www.runforprs.com, we can actually get you set up with a free seven-day trial, no strings attached, get to chatting with a coach right away. Again, that's www.runforprs.com. Thanks for tuning in.